my name is Rebecca Naylor. Um, we're going to be talking about women in missions. Um, I served my missionary career as a physician in the country of India. Uh, and so um, that's kind of the background from which I come and have been involved in medical missions now for a long time. Um, this morning I was visiting with someone down in the exhibit area, uh, another exhibitor, and uh, I commented, you know, I've been over 46 years with the International Mission Board of Southern Baptists. And uh, he, he looked startled and he said, I'm 46 years old. <laughs> so, yeah, well, okay. So, um, women in missions. And so what we're going to do this morning um, is try to answer some questions. I will leave time at the end for you to ask questions. And uh, we'll, we'll be fairly informal in that. So do women have a unique role in missionary service? Um, and what are some of the challenges uh, for women in missions? And how can I prepare? And I need to prepare a little bit. Let me just get, I've got a couple of quotes to read. Okay. When we think about women in missions, uh, women have always been leaders in missions. One of the areas that women are so um, known for is leading in prayer for missions. Women are also nurturing in missions. Um, Women have been leaders in mobilizing support for missions, uh, giving, financial support, um, going to churches, trying to encourage them to pray and give and go. Uh, women have certainly been involved in domestic missions. Um, we might think maybe more often it's urban-type social ministries in urban um, domestic missions, um, and evangelism. And then, of course, women have been very involved in international missions. Well, what have been the roles of women? Uh, women have often been uh, pioneers in mission places. Uh, women have been known to just be the very first ones to go in and open up a place. Um, they uh, often go to dangerous places. And sometimes we think, well, women wouldn't go to dangerous places, but they, they do. They have been very important and involved in church planting. Um, they have worked with women and children especially. Uh, you know, there are places where in, in mission history we read even about single women that were so overwhelmed with the needs of children that they would bring them into their homes um, and take care of them. Uh, women engaged in social work, women engaged in evangelism, um, and just access to women and children. Um, certainly women have been involved in education, teaching. They've been involved in health care. And um, translation work has been another area of strength for women. And then writing the stories of missions and missionaries. And women have excelled at that. So um, what are some unique opportunities uh, for women? Uh, we've already talked about their ability to reach women. They have access in almost any culture uh, to reach women. 
um, especially when we think of Muslim cultures and we think of health care. Women may be the only ones who can provide that care in that culture. Um, they very much have access to homes. If, if you're married and you have children, even your children may be um, door openers. Uh, that you will begin to have conversations with mothers locally and talk about your children, and, and they'll be wanting to know about your children and how you uh, teach them and all those kinds of things. Um, then, uh, even in adverse circumstances, it is often the women who stay the longest. Uh, the local uh, people will think that the women are no threat and therefore, they might as well stay there. It's okay. And the women are able to remain in place. Um, a quote from a man named Tucker, a lady actually named Tucker, missionary service is one of the few vocations in which women have become more prominent in adverse situations than men. And then a quote from Herbert Cain, the more difficult and dangerous the work, the higher the ratio of women to men. So, unique opportunities. Uh, here's a quote from uh, 1881. My honest opinion is that many of the ladies I've known have been superior to many of our male workers in all that goes to constituting the true missionary. Their intense earnestness, their love to the people, their zeal, their untiring energy, and their long-suffering patience have been far greater than in the men. And I think that is certainly still true today. Well, okay, women in missions, there are some challenges. So we might as well lay those out there and talk about them. Um, family. Family in ministry. Balance is hard to achieve. Uh, Family responsibilities, a role perhaps as a mother and a wife. You have ministry responsibilities. You're a health care professional. You're burdened for lost people. Uh, they're just the home responsibilities. And how to balance all those things can be a very difficult challenge. Um, your husband's position, if you're married, may be dominant. Uh, he is the one uh, with the job. You're there. Uh, he may have travel involved in his job. You are left alone with the children. And, um, you know, it can get a little difficult. And you feel like, well, what am I contributing? Is it worth all this? Um, you may have to homeschool your children. And you never thought about teaching, and nobody instructed you how to do that. But there you are, and you're responsible for their education. And I think a, a particular difficulty for women is, is separation from your children. When um, I have a good friend uh, who's a missionary in Africa, they're on home leave right now, and um, when they go back in January... Uh, they're leaving the oldest one. And she is just, she's having a very difficult time with this. A lot of grief and, and concern. And she's anxious about it as well. 
And so separation from children, I think, is especially hard for the mother. And, um, you know, your expectations may not match the expectations of others. Your expectations may not match the context and situation in which you find yourself. And you go with, with some idea of how it's going to be, and it isn't that way at all. And then others are expecting you to be a certain way, and that's not how you are. And that gets conflicted. And that can be a very significant challenge. Well, then there's the single missionary. Um, I've been single the whole time. And uh, those of you may already know that uh, sometimes this can, people not intending to be unkind, can be a little patronizing and condescending. And, uh, oh, you know, an unclaimed treasure. Um, and poor thing. Yes. And uh, you're just set apart. Why do, why do they even separate single missionaries into another category? You know, I used to wonder that. I mean, I'm called. They're called. We're, we're equal, uh, certainly scripturally and biblically and all those things. But we're in a category. Um, and the other challenge for the single can be that you get dumped on. And, uh, oh, you know, she doesn't have, uh, you know, she doesn't have the kids. She doesn't have family. I mean, she's got so much time. And she can do one, two, three, four, five. Um, doesn't, it didn't happen to me more than once or twice, but it did happen. And, you know, you just have to uh, deal with it when it does happen and explain as best you can that, uh, you know, um, you also have responsibilities and unique things that, you don't have the kids, you don't have the family, but you have these other things. So, um, loneliness. You think, well, a single person especially would be lonely. Loneliness is common to both married and single, and women may have to deal with this. Again, um, you can be lonely in the middle of a lot of people. Uh, you can feel isolated. You may be living in a situation where there just are no other Westerners, um, no one of your culture. And, and maybe, you know, a woman is going to want to relate. We would like to have women friends, and maybe it's very hard to find any of those. And uh, that can be a very big challenge. Well, this is one we need to deal with as a challenge, sex discrimination. Um, self-advocacy versus self-denial. Um, when, when you advocate for equality, this is not feminism, which is self-advocacy. Um, you are there submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, called of him, and... Um, you're there as an equal player. And, and so these have to be balanced. Submission and assertion. Well, obviously you're there submitted to the Lord. But at the same time, you have to be a bit self-assertive. And so that, has, that can be a little tricky. Um, you may be doing the jobs of a man, 
but you don't have a voice at the table. Only the men do. And you think, well, that's not very fair. Uh, a challenge. Um, and even in field conferences and strategy planning and vision casting, maybe they don't uh, even ask for your opinion. Or if they do, <laughs> it may just be a kind of a surface, we're trying to be nice kind of deal, and they really don't listen. Now, having said all that, um, there, we, we have in mission history, of course, the stories of so many women. Um, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, MAF, founded by a woman. Gospel Recordings, an organization that I know in, in India it's been uh, important and helpful to us, founded by a woman. And then um, there's a, a language learning method that is used all over the world by just about everybody called LAMP, Language Acquisition Made Practical, designed and figured out by a woman. And so even with this little issue of sex discrimination there, obviously women have much influence. Um, Lottie Moon was a single lady, and uh, she was, uh, went to China in the late 1800s, And um, first of all, uh, she actually was sent out by my mission board, and she waited several years before being appointed to go because she was single. And they said, we don't send single women. It's not wise. Well, finally she went, and she was told to be a teacher. That was her educational background, uh, in a school for girls. And she did that. But she was thinking of all these villages and places where there was no witness at all. And alone, against all advice from colleagues and the mission board, she goes out and lives in one of these remote places. And there was a rule from the mission board that she was not to preach to, talk to, share with men. And she said, how can I be quiet when there are all these heathen men that are dying without Jesus? And so she, of course, shared the gospel with the men and trained up national leadership. Um, So that's just one example. Well, okay, we've talked about a few of the challenges. How do we get over them? You know, how do we get around them? That doesn't help to know their problems if we don't know how to solve them. Um, So, first of all, it is absolutely essential in missions that you be very sure about God's call. That is all that on some days will keep you there. Because there will be difficulties of all kinds. Um, In meeting challenges, in getting over the challenges, God's call is essential. Um, The call is not... Based on need. Um, Yes, there are plenty of needy people in the world. There are billions of people who need to hear the gospel. And there are billions of people who need health care. I mean, you know, and we have both to offer. But we're not humanitarian responders who just go to meet needs. 
Because you will not last if that's the only basis on which you go. Yes, we are motivated and instructed by Jesus to meet needs. But that's not the call. Um, Submit everything to God and trust Him. Everything. Whether or not you're going to find a husband. Not saying, I'll go if I'm married. We can't put qualifications on God's call. I'll go only to this part of the world. I'll only go to this country. Um, I'll only go at this point in time. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of things we can think of. But we can't, we can't do that. We submit everything, lay it out, and then trust God. He knows every one of those things. Um, and then once he shows you, obey. And there is no partial obedience. You either do it or you don't do it. And, and we are to obey. Um, be flexible. Uh, only those of you who've been overseas and worked a while know how important this is. You simply adjust. Things aren't going to be like you thought they were going to be. You may do things you didn't plan on doing. You may not do things that you thought you would do. And it's going to be different. And you just have to adjust. Um, Flexibility. And adjust your expectations. Um, You just can't know, you know, everything before you get there. And, And your expectations just may not quite fit the picture. So adjust those. Develop relationships. You get there, you look for ways in the community where you're living to develop relationships. It'll be perhaps partly a missionary community. You may have colleagues. It will be the local community. It may be wherever you're working professionally. Um, There would be relationships. You look for developing relationships. That is no different overseas than it is in America. You do the same thing. You get a new job in a new place. You go and you move there and you start work. Well, you've got to figure out, you know, who am I going to relate to? We all need people. Even we, like myself, I'm I'm very much an introvert. But I need people. We all do. Um, Open your home. Uh, This is a wonderful way to... um, Show openness and respect in the community to even use your home as a place of witness uh, for your own socialization and developing those relationships. Your home can be a vital place. Um, And if you're single, capitalize on the singleness. Uh, You have some some opportunities, time, time. even relationships that will be unique. And use those. Capitalize on it. Um, Most of this information I actually got from surveys of missionaries, both married and single women, uh, who were responding. Uh, One lady wrote who was single, and uh, she said that locally in the culture, 
the women felt sorry for her. And the result was she was getting invitations into local homes, so many that she could, she could scarcely keep her social calendar, you know, straight and work, and had wonderful opportunities. So she capitalized on her singleness. Um, and if you're married, have a true partnership with your husband. Each of you is called, but you are also called as a couple. And it doesn't mean that you and he do everything together and you're side by side. No, that's not what we mean. But, for example, um, what you do as a healthcare professional may generate contacts and opportunities that he and his role is going to follow up on. And the two of you are a team targeting the same thing. You're doing different things. But together it's synergy. And that's what we mean by that. Um, This lady was the very first woman physician missionary to be sent by anybody. And it was in 1870. And she was sent to India. She... um, she saw thousands of patients every year, but um, she also shared the gospel with thousands of people. She'd been there about 15 years when the, the, the kind of princely ruler in that area was a Muslim, and he invited her to become the physician for all the women in his household, of whom there were quite a few. And so she now had this tremendous access into this very elite uh, female society and very closed female society. Just an example. One of my favorite stories is about Dr. Ida. Uh, Dr. Ida was a a lady. her, Her father and her grandfather were missionary doctors in India. And uh, Ida, growing up in India, her dream was go back to America, get my education, marry some really, you know, wonderful prince, charming, and uh, have a comfortable house and live in America. I mean, you know, she was ready to be done with India. So she, she went back to college. And then there came a time uh, during her, I guess as she was finishing college, she came to visit her parents in India for a a short time. And one night, while she was there, three times there came knocks at the door. Each time it was a man who would say, my wife is in labor, she's in trouble, I need a doctor. And when he found out that the doctor was her father, a man, he would say, no, you cannot touch my wife. And three times it happened, and the next day there were three funerals in the village. This had a huge impact on Dr. Ida. And she, God just made her to understand that she needed to educate Indian women to be doctors. They needed Indian women doctors. So she came back to America. She didn't marry Prince Charming. She went to medical school. 
And in 1901, she established the Christian Medical College in South India for women. And um, the story of all the difficulties and the challenges that she faced were really amazing. Uh, Today, that institution is a premier training institution, co-educational now, of course, in all of South Asia. And it's a 2,000-bed hospital. And it's, it's in a, a, every level of training in every discipline of healthcare. care. Um, incredible story. So, overcoming challenges. Well, I want to now take a few minutes to just share with you something of my story. And then we'll have time for questions. Um, My story centers primarily in the country of India, and that's where God called me to serve. I lived in Bangalore, which is down in southern India. It's got a circle drawn around it at the bottom. Um, I grew up in the home of a a Baptist pastor. Um, Probably when I was about two years old, uh, I learned my first Bible verse, which was God is love. And uh, not, uh, you know, a few years after that, I came to understand uh, that Jesus died for sin and that I qualified. Uh, And I understood about the disobedience and the lying and other things that I naturally uh, did for which I usually got punished. And, uh, but that Jesus had died for me. And my parents led me to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I I learned about missionaries and missions from the time I could remember. And we prayed for missionaries. Uh, They visited our church and our home. And and, um, so I I knew about missionaries. I was 13 years old, already interested in medicine. Uh, God had put that there, I'm sure, because I didn't know anything about medicine. And um, we had missionaries visiting in our church. We were having a foreign mission emphasis in the church. And God just made it clear to me uh, that I was to be a medical missionary. I resisted that. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents. Um, and I, I felt this was something so big. And I was so insignificant. I mean, this was just not possible. And I didn't want to leave home. So how could I be a medical missionary? Uh, About 18 months this went on. I was arguing with myself and God, as a young teenager can do. And, uh, you know, it seemed like my dad was still my pastor at that point. And it seemed like, you know, he was preaching at me just frequently, um, which, of course, allegedly he didn't know anything of what was happening. I think he probably realized. And uh, finally, after about 18 months, I said, God, okay, if this is really it, then I'll do it. Immediately, total peace. All All that that had been in my mind for so many months was gone. And, and I became very focused and very goal-directed on what God had called me to do. 
And I understood that it was going to be a lot of years of going to school. But, um, you know, I was, I was headed that direction. Um, I went to college at Baylor and went to med school at Vanderbilt and, um, and then did my surgical training uh, in Dallas. Um, actually, in the 1960s, uh, women did not go into surgery. And, um, you know, I was uh, pretty convinced that uh, I might not survive or even get there in the first place. Um, surgery was something that, again, God showed me very clearly. Uh, I worked overseas just before my fourth year in medical school. I, I worked in a mission hospital in Asia. Uh, worked with a missionary surgeon, got to be in the OR, and contrary to my medical school surgical experience, which was very negative, um, this was very positive. And I loved surgery. Uh, and so God used that to show me that I, that was the direction. Um, I was the only woman in the training program. They had never taken one before. And they didn't take another one the whole five years. Um, and this was this picture probably was uh, nearing the end of my training period. And um, as you can tell, the faculty and my fellow residents are, are all male. So that that was, uh, you know, that was uh, learning about women being sometimes discriminated against. Um, and so it was that I went out with the Southern Baptist, uh, then Foreign Mission Board, now International Mission Board, to the country of India. Um, basically, they, they needed me there and sent me there. I arrived in Bangalore early in 1974 um, as a fresh, freshly trained general surgeon. And the hospital was new. It had been open only a few months. And I remember the morning I went to work. My first day, there were 12 patients in the ward, and they were seeing probably 50 or 60 patients a day in the um, clinic. Um, the medical staff was half missionary and half uh, Indian. There were about four, there were five or six of us all together, and we did everything. Uh, yes, I did the surgery, but yes, I did many other things as well. Um, the hospital itself, uh, founded by Southern Baptist, um, in a very, uh, the least evangelized part of South India. And um, medical missions was the access that our mission board had to the country of India. Uh, so the hospital continued to grow, and in 1989, the management of the hospital was handed over to Christian Medical College the very same institution that Dr. Ida had founded so many decades before. Um, we uh, started academic programs in the 90s, and over these uh, hospitals soon will be 47 years old. We've um, expanded, and we continue to expand. Um, my roles were varied. Obviously, I was a doctor, so obviously I saw patients. And I was a surgeon, so obviously I did that as well. Um, I was not an obstetrician gynecologist, but did a lot of that. And uh, the first 10 years, we didn't have a gynecologist. And because I was a woman and a surgeon, it fell to me. And um, by the 10 years when we had a gynecologist, 
I was well established in that practice and never escaped. Uh, so, you know, this is an example of how um, I didn't expect to do that. I didn't prepare to do that. But it was a need that God placed me where I had to do it. And God is our competence and equips us when, when, we, when we're in that circumstance. And that you're put in a place where you don't know, you know, you weren't prepared. Same thing happened with administration. I had been there um, less than a year when the two missionary doctors who built the hospital left. And I became senior. And, uh, and I had administrative jobs almost from day one. I, I, almost everything. I, for a while I was head of nursing service. And for a while I was head of community health. And talk about a surgeon in community health. It was kind of funny. And, uh, you know, I had the, and by the early 80s, I had been there about seven or eight years. I became the CEO of the hospital. And, um, you know, uh, nobody ever taught me about financial management, human resource development, you know, all those good things. Didn't know a thing. I had to learn very quickly. Um, And, uh, again, God was my competence. Um, education was a big part of what I did from the beginning. Initially, in the early years, it was informal education, one-on-one conferences in the medical staff, that kind of thing. And then in 1990, we began allied health training programs. Um, and then we established a residency training for doctors in the four basic specialties initially. And um, the nursing school was started in 1996, and then chaplaincy training programs. And I was uh, the leader in all the curriculum development and accreditation and, you know, all the stuff that goes with education. But I love teaching. And uh, some of my happiest moments were the six years that I taught anatomy and physiology in the nursing school. And I had never never taught more motivated students than those. And I have taught seminary, medical students, both sides of the world, and I had never seen students as motivated as those. Um, I used my home. Uh, my first Christmas in India, I was able to invite four ladies to tea. I was quite proud that I knew four ladies to invite to tea. And... Um, my last year, Christmas in India, I invited 250 people to tea uh, in my small apartment. And I had done this year after year after year. And all kinds of people, all religions, um, you know, there were uh, architects and lawyers and professional people and doctors and pastors and, you know, all kinds of people, business people. And... Um, the only place that they saw each other was in my house every year. And it kind of, you know, it was kind of like the social event of the season. And um, I, there were witness opportunities. And I remember once a Hindu anesthesiologist, uh, you know, had a little nativity scene. And he asked me, he said, um, can you tell me the story of this? Oh, yeah, sure could, you know. And uh, my Christmas trees each year were 
small, like two feet, in a pot, but evergreen. And evergreen and everlasting life. Um, a, a way to initiate a conversation. Um, if I had not been a doctor, I would have been a musician. And I went to India thinking that part of my life was over, except for me. And uh, it was not over. And we organized a hospital choir, about 30 people, from helpers to doctors, everybody. And um, we gave concerts all over our city. Uh, This picture was taken. We were about to uh, tape a program for government television at Christmas. And like that, there were many opportunities of witness and, of course, PR uh, for the hospital through that choir. And a a lot of, it was a good outlet for me that I really enjoyed. And I worked alongside Indian pastors and evangelists, uh, engaging in church planning. As people in the hospital heard about Jesus and were interested, they were visited Uh, Groups were gathered, eventually believers, eventually baptized, eventually house churches started. And hundreds of churches have been started through that hospital. Uh, Today, the hospital is very amazing. It's just continued to grow and expand. Um, 340 beds now, and they're adding another 100 as we speak. Uh, They're constructing. They treated almost 325,000 outpatients in the hospital clinics uh, last year. And um, if you think, nobody comes to the hospital by himself. You know, the family, the visitors, the neighbors. So conservatively, at least 600,000 people would walk through that place every year. And almost all of those people are lost without Jesus. And what an incredible opportunity, but also responsibility. Um, the academics, um, we are, have the allied health programs. We now have residencies in uh, 10 departments plus two fellowships post-residency. Um, the nursing school, the chaplaincy training program. Uh, We have 10 chaplains on the staff who minister to patients and visitors, uh, who um, minister to 1,400 employees, and who minister to over 500 students and trainees that are in the campus. Um, And the spiritual ministry is very strong. Uh, We're still, in the last two years, we've been averaging uh, anywhere from 100 to 150, 160 people every month who want to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, So that's just very amazing. We also go out to the community. um, Rural work, um, multiple projects, certainly health care and health education, but also cardiovascular prevention screening project, disability, um, senior citizens, daycare, Uh, alcohol, rehab, Uh, I mean, there are just so many projects. And then in the urban area, we're responsible for health care in a slum of about 100,000 people. It's a Muslim slum. And, um, again, multiple services that are provided in the urban health clinic. And then Smile on Wheels 
is a mobile unit that goes to a lot of other slums on a regular basis, people that have no access really to care. And they treated about another 60,000 patients through, through these community health projects in the past year. Um, and palliative care, hospice care, uh, we have four teams. They actually give the care. Uh, it's different from America, it's, uh, and that's because of the culture. Um, in, in India, it would not be appropriate for a nurse to go alone and visit in, in a home. And so they go as a team. And we have four teams, three in the rural uh, area and one in the urban area. Um, this verse God gave me just a few years ago. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation your mighty acts to all who are to come. And that is what now I do, and it, like this morning. And I can declare to you with certainty God's mighty power and his mighty acts that I have experienced personally, that I have witnessed, and that I continue to see and experience today. So, in conclusion... I want to remind you that healthcare professionals, I think we are different from absolutely anybody else in the whole world. And that is, we can cross every barrier economic, cultural, geographic. Everybody gets sick. And the best part, in minutes, we are able to get to a spiritual conversation. And nobody else can do that. And this is true in America where you may work, and it is true anywhere in the world. Um, and this is a challenge that we have. But what a privilege uh, that, that we, we can do this. Um, so what about you? Um, whatever stage you're at right now, some of you are students, some of you are professionals, uh, be sure that your spiritual disciplines are growing in strength, are regularly developed. Um, your prayer times, your your study of God's Word, your fellowship with other believers. This is so vital. Um, learn about our world. You all have so much access to knowledge that you know. Mine was kind of remote. I could read, but you know. So far as really being up to date this minute, obviously that didn't much happen 50 years ago. But now you can learn about the world. Learn about the peoples of the world. Learn about the countries of the world. Learn about cultures. Uh, learn about political things that are happening in the world. Uh, what is the lostness of our world? Uh, the context in which we live today in the 21st century. Um, it's good if you can connect with a missionary mentor. Um, could be by email or Skype or, you know, whatever those other things are. Uh, and you can have ask your questions. Hear about their experiences. Um, let them kind of give input into your life and your, your thinking as you 
explore God's call. Uh, read missionary biographies. This, still today, I just so love to read missionary biographies. But they were impactful in my life as I was coming along. How to see how God could just take any ordinary person and, and use them if submitted. And, you know, of course you learn a lot of other things as you read the biographies as well. Um, share your own faith now regularly. As we share our faith, we get better at it. Our spiritual muscles grow and strengthen. And getting on an airplane and going someplace is not going to make you an evangelist. If you don't do it here, you're not going to do it there. And, and we are accountable. We don't know if we're going to get there. And we're accountable for today. This is the day. God has put me here today. Whatever circumstance, wherever work, whatever people he puts in front of me today, those are the ones I'm accountable for. And, and so share your faith. Um, and look for cross-cultural opportunities. That's less and less difficult. I think any community in the United States now, we've got cross-cultural opportunities. It may be neighbors. It may be a, a free clinic or a charitable clinic in your town where you can volunteer. It may be some other kind of social ministry. It may be refugees. It may be, I mean, it could be just anything. It may be internationals with whom you work or go to school. They're there everywhere. And, of course, your professional preparation. That goes without saying. You should be excellent at what you do. You cannot be a credible witness for Jesus Christ and give sloppy care. It won't work. Never, this is quotes from, from my missionary survey. Uh, never set limits on God or be driven by your feelings. And know that health care can be the most effective way of reaching hearts with the healing of the gospel. I ask the question, what gives you joy? Seeing friends come to Christ, giving someone their first Bible, baptizing new believers, partnering with the local church, and working together. So my life verses have been these, and uh, the promise is very, very true. Uh, But the conditions are also very true. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So, it is trusting, it is submission, leaning on him and not yourself, acknowledging that he is Lord in every part of your life. And you do that, he will direct your paths. And what assurance, what security, what joy comes in obeying him in following that path. Okay, we have ten minutes. Uh, questions that you may have. Yes, back row. Uh, do you feel like there's any areas that women with missions can feel like a specific need right now? Any areas in which women right now could feel a specific need? Do you mean um, geographically or uh, professionally? More like, have you noticed that women 
yes, unique pathways to ministry. I think especially with women and children and homes. Um, but as a professional, um, you know, you, you just have, especially in healthcare, we need to focus on the least reached places in the world. Um, the traditional church planting missionary, there are just many places, more and more places, every day it seems like, where he can't go or she can't go. But a healthcare professional is the key to getting to those people. And so we need to, you know, there are only so many of us, so we should deploy ourselves into the least reached, most strategic locations. I hope that sort of answers. Right here. You had a question. Um, oh my, I should have come with a list. Dr. Ida's biography, of course, was a wonderful one. Um, you know, I've read about Paul Brand and Granny Brand, his mother. Uh, there's a doctor that was in Bangladesh. I think the name of the book was Doctor. I think that's right. D A K T A R. Yeah. And um, my biography has been written, if you want the details. Uh, <laughs> all the, you know, whole life laid bare. That was a challenge to me, to tell everything. Um, but that would be one. Um, Bill Wallace of China uh, would be another. He, he died in China. Um, well, that's a few. And you could probably Google or go on Amazon and I'm not good on the internet I just never think of it I mean I can do it but I just don't think of it but I would think you could find out I can have a more practical question how did you keep maintain your certification back here in the United States? Very important how to maintain certification in the U.S. This is vital that you do it first of all whatever licensing you have in the U.S. maintain it because first, you may need to come back and get a job, you know. So it, it should be so you could get a job. It's also important because in the place where you go, it may be essential in the permissions that that government has to give you to work. Um, how to do it. Uh, now, so much of your uh, continuing education um, can be done online. Journals online, self-assessment uh, tests and all that. And then when you're back on home leave, um, opportunities to go to professional meetings where you can count the hours. Um, another way, CMDA uh, sponsors continuing education for missionaries overseas. Uh, alternate years, it's, it's in Asia, and alternate years, it's in uh, the Europe side. So, you know depending on where you are in the world. And um, initially it was doctors and dentists, but now nurses go and get their hours um, that have to be done. So there are ways. And mine was mostly online. And even in India, 
big country that it is, and I won't say anything about the quality of the meeting, but I would go to the national surgical meetings occasionally. And, you know, I could count those hours, um, even though maybe I didn't learn just a whole lot, but it was okay. Um, And I just, I guess I wanted to speak to that as well. So Dr. Naylor is back here in the United States. So I was a medical medical student at the University of Texas at Southwestern in Dallas. And so I first met Dr. Naylor when she came to a CMDA talk at um, when I was a medical student, and she inspired me. And I went, um, my fourth year of medical school, I went to Baylor Baptist Hospital. Um, there's, there's actually a nursing school named after Dr. Naylor, and I saw the impact that she's made on the mission. And so um, I did my residency there, and um, just, I think, two or three weeks ago, Dr. Naylor spoke in front of the entire uh, medical school and student body, and she spoke about the name of Jesus and what she was able to do, and I, she's like respected on staff at UT Southwestern because of her path and what she's made an impact for. And so, even though she's a missionary, a Christian doctor, um, she's just respected, and she still has her um, degree and has maintained that or her maintained her certification uh, here in the states, and she's respected. And so, she's making an impact even on medical students and people who don't know. About, I mean, she's a missionary back at UT Southwestern amongst students here, even in the U.S. So I'm very grateful. You've inspired me greatly. Thank you, Eunice. Yeah. Yeah, that opportunity a couple of weeks ago, that kind of brings to a point. Don't don't neglect any opportunities that God may give you. Um, I knew uh, I'd been asked to speak at this very formal lecture, and they had told me I could tell my story. Now, those who said that, of course, didn't really understand what all my story included. They were thinking global health and, you know, surgeon and teaching and all those things. And, and I prayed a lot. And in that government school, you're, you don't say a, a lot of the things I said that day. But I was determined. And um, I was very... Uh, you know, pleasant about the whole thing. But um, I tried to make it very clear uh, why I went to India. I talked about church planting, uh, and I talked about faith. And what kept me there was Jesus. So, um, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of people sitting there who got very uncomfortable. But that's okay. Yes? Um, it, it will be variable. Our mission board is very um, adamant about language learning. And that, and I agree. It is essential you learn language and culture where you are going. Um, when I went to India, that was true. I was to learn language. Only problem was I was also to go to work. And the theory was I'd be a part-time doctor and a part-time student. Nobody is a part-time doctor, especially in a a new, struggling uh, mission hospital. Uh, And, you know, a surgeon, people have surgery at all hours. So, uh, and there was nobody else to do the surgery. (laughs) 
So I did both at the same time, and therefore my language learning was was not as successful. Um, and I, I wish I had been able to be a full-time language student. Uh, and that's that's a hard lesson for us. You know, you've worked hard to become the healthcare professional that you are, and and you're, you're excited to use those skills, you know, wherever, and you want to get to work. And then you're also probably a little bit worried, if I'm not do- using my skills, am I going to lose them? You know, you're thinking that too. And, and so you think, well, why do I have to go to language school? It is important. And you won't lose your skills. And take advantage of the opportunity and learn. And I, I was still dependent. Bangalore is very multilingual. Seven major languages, all distinct from each other. I studied one and English. So I was still dependent on translators, which couldn't be helped. You know, a couple of the other languages, I, I, I over and over and over, you know, and the same kind of histories, you, you start picking up words, but I couldn't, I might kind of know what they were telling me, but I couldn't respond. One final question. Anybody? Yes. What keeps you there uh, in the face of overwhelming workload and need is God's call. And, I mean, that that's just uh, simply said. Um, find whatever you individually is your kind of stress reliever or what you enjoy or your hobby or your, you know, whatever it is. Do that. Be sure that you have a way to do that. And, um, you know, I like to read. I had my music. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of times a year, usually at least once a year, uh, besides vacation, I, w- I would just find a need for Western culture because I was entirely, I, I was with no Westerners. And, you know, I'd take a weekend, a Saturday and a Sunday off. And and I, I just had the ability financially to do it. And we'd go to a five-star hotel. And I would be by myself, not talking, Western food, air conditioning, swimming pool, all things I didn't have. And, and in, in 24 to 48 hours, I'd get... I'd get turned around. Um, and so, you know, for different people, it's going to be different how, how your personality and all that is. And for me, that worked. So thank you so much for your attention. Um, for another hour, I'll be in the IMB booth downstairs. Thank you.